So Julie, I often tell people that there are four opportunities to overcoming an objection, the most powerful of which is before the objection happens. Have you ever heard of this concept? You're always teaching me new stuff, Torin. No, I haven't. Tell me more. So the acronym for me, and it's something that I used back in the 90s when I had my own sales team, the acronym is WNLB. Well, the B stands for before. And before any of you start to wonder which online system is best for payroll, let me share a few facts. Gusto is actually simple and easy, surprisingly easy and very fast. 90% of customers say switching to Gusto was easy. 85% of customers say running payroll is easier now than their previous provider. And three out of four customers take 10 minutes or less to run payroll with Gusto. I think that's easy. You can use our link, gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K for three complimentary months. Again, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K. We've been about this work, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, shared through the voices of a white woman and a black man. We bring lived experiences. We have pursued DNI progress for most of our professional lives. We use Crazy and the King to cover news, tips from colleagues, and host incredible guests. Listeners, count on Julie and I to transparently drive the conversation. We thank you for rocking with us. Check it. Check it. Julie, kick off the show. Welcome to Crazy in the King. Oh my goodness. Look, people behind the scenes, technical sharing. Uh, you won't really get all of this, but you're getting it because I'm giving it to you. Jay and I are trying something new right now. So like I'm, I'm literally looking in my high def camera as if you all could see me. I guess I'm just practicing, but we are working on potentially bringing you all video. So we are both smiling right now in a good place. We have no outside ambient noise. I'm looking to make sure that he doesn't come around the corner. I just got this guy down the street who has this souped up vehicle. And every time he comes by, like he it's it's like automatic, Jay. He he just has to, when he leaves the red light, push the pedal to the floor and let the engine and the mufflers and all of that. Well, all of that makes noise. And, and I catch that. So. We're good for right now. How you feel? Uh, dude, I am great. Busy as hell. I say yeah. that every week, but yeah. And, and I'm going to tell you, I'm, whew, say this out loud. I am getting ready to get on an airplane for the first time in a year. Stop uh, playing. My, yep. Swear to God, to, on Thursday morning. So when this podcast is published, I will be on my way to the airport to go to Key West, uh, my very, very good friend, friend Andrea, is getting married in April, and yeah. we are getting away for a few days in an Airbnb to uh, celebrate her end of, of bachelorhood. Okay, okay. All right, awesome. So this is all fun. Uh, now, will you be wearing a paint suit, goggle, mask, gloves? H- how will you be dressed? 
Yes. So you see, I have on glasses today. These yes. will be with me okay. and on my face the whole time. I have a K95 mask. I have just my regular cloth mask that I wear. Yeah. I do have a face shield, but I, I'm thinking that the glasses will be a good substitute for looking completely ridiculous and yeah. still being safe. Let me tell you something. Uh, I know I looked ridiculous. Uh, October was my first time on uh, a plane in when I took the trip, like I, I, I sat in it, you know, yeah, you just sit, wait, waiting to board. And, you know, when they said that the plane was about to board, I reached in my backpack, pulled out an all white uh, painter suit. One of those uh, Kevlar type painter suits um, mm-hmm. had on my uh, my Jordans, my little retro six Jordans. So you could see the Jordans fly white paint suit, crisp. But then I had the nerves. I had the nerves, Jay. To put on one of my fedoras, mean fedora. Like, so, so everybody <laughs> who looked at me was like, this dude is an absolute clown. Like, he looks like, because I had glass, I mean, I had the suit, gloves on, but I said, I tell you what, whatever you can see of me, shoes, hat, backpack, fly, clean, like clean. I was, I was clean. I'm sure I was dope clean. So, listen. It doesn't matter what you look like. Get down to Key West. Have a great time. Bring your ass back home safely. No, I'm, don't bring nothing back. Yes. Which don't even bring back memories in this case. Just go have a good time and leave everything <laughs> in Key West. <laughs> leave everything in Key West. Deal. Yeah. American. Yeah, and and speaking I, of leaving I things, I won't have a first pair of J's on, but I will be covered. There you go. Well, well, speaking of leaving things, uh, I can promise you, uh, there's a whole lot of folks that want. New York attorney uh, Letitia James to leave some stuff alone because she just dropped the hammer. She's suing Amazon over worker pandemic protections. Uh, the state's attorney general, Miss Letitia James, is accusing the e-commerce giant of providing inadequate uh, safety measures at facilities in Staten Island and in Queens and retaliating against employees who raise concerns. It ain't a good look and she ain't having it. Well, you know that Amazon in October had had over 20,000 employees test positive. Looking at the the Staten Island stats, probably lower than most Amazon facilities in terms of of outbreak. Completely unacceptable. And Letitia James is a badass. Like, let's just call her who she is. She is badass. And so uh, I think I'll probably enjoy watching this one. Absolutely. Um, So last week, the private equity firm, the Carlisle Group, Uh, announced a $4.1 billion credit facility for portfolio companies. And they are tying the the price of debt to a company's board diversity composition. I think I said that the right way. Bottom line is they're simply saying, we'll loan you money, we'll invest, we'll give you access to capital, but it's going to cost you if your board of directors is not diverse, love that. Uh, uh, and that is according so to it's the CEO. Kind of like yeah. having bad credit. Absolutely. You are going to pay a little bit more to access this capital. We're not cutting you off from it. We trust you. You're in the portfolio, but we're trying to push you. And they really are trying to push um, portfolios to be better about their boards of directors. They're giving them some time, Jay, you know, to 2023, if I'm not mistaken, 
But the point is they're German. They're, they're laying the seed right now and they're making people think about what it is to, to be diverse and they're using a broad definition. So it shouldn't be hard for them to, um, to meet the demands of being more diverse on the board. They already tout the statistics of, you know, better productivity, higher revenues. And what Carlisle is doing is also saying, look, we'll tap into our Rolodex and we will even help you. So Julie Sowash, if you have a company in our portfolio, you're having a hard time finding people to sit on your board. We got a Rolodex. We will tap into our network, pull some talented individuals up for your consideration and help you meet the number. So we're not trying to charge you more. We're trying to get you to be more diverse. I love it. I dig it. Dig it. Love it. We'll keep an eye on that. Absolutely. And And I see something about vaccine passports. Well, yeah, the vaccine passports, you know, only bring that up because you and I have had this conversation a couple of times. And once again, there are these concerns around who is getting preferential treatment, uh, let's say post vaccine or while we are in the process of giving vaccines. And some people are saying that they want people with a passport or uh, older individuals or more, more high earning individuals once they get the vaccine to be able to go about their life, like don't have to wear a mask, they can move freely. And quite frankly, a person like myself who is not trying to get the vaccine, well, I'm I'm remanded because what the article is saying, and this is just one version of it, but what the Bloomberg article is saying is simply that you're really creating a caste system that that is going to it's going to backfire. And I think it'll backfire. And I keep bringing the story up. Because I know that when these conversations are happening outside of the workplace, Jay, they eventually will impact the workplace. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, is there a point, I guess, other than to say we're creating like a, a second tier kind of caste system or that boomers and people of, of means who get vaccinated will be like pumping up the economy faster than Joe Smith with a disability who should be prioritized to get the vaccine. Yeah. How about that? And that's the, that's the part that scares and worries a lot of individuals, you know, people being able to take advantage of the system. We already have faulty rollouts in several states around the country and other countries are having, you know, challenges with their rollout. I just feel like they should really keep the priority in terms of who gets the vaccine uh, according to who needs it the most. Who's the most susceptible yeah. to losing their life um, with a contraction of COVID? Keep it in that order. Don't place it according to people in their income status, their uh, work status, their desire to travel status. They're sick of being shut up in the home status. Leave all of those things out. Let is, let's base it solely, purely on loss of life or the potential loss of life. That's what I want. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it, it actually surprises me that it's taken this long to have this uh have this conversation start to come to light, right? We know that in low-income neighborhoods, rich white folks are going to get the vaccine um, and and because they have the ability and the um, capacity to stand in line and to wait to get into the order in the queue and all that stuff, it's bullshit. We can already see that it's happening. Um, there should be no reason that states or governments should be prioritizing differently than they are. Yeah, well, you know, one last thing on that. There was a guy who called into one of the radio shows that I listened to, and he he noticed that um, as long as people were setting their appointments via the internet, 
it was actually a switch when they were using archaic ways of setting appointments, uh, nurses reaching out to patient lists, uh, client past client lists. They were servicing mm-hmm. the black and brown people in that community. The moment they started to open it up to people being able to book appointments on the Internet, then they started yep. to see an influx of white patients coming through. And when I say patients, mm-hmm. you know, these are people that don't even live in the community. They were yep. traveling to go down in an area that they wouldn't normally go to um, visit frequent and under any other condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he noticed that that just inserting that piece of technology in the equation it, it really took the uh, balance away from uh, the normal people that um, I guess uh, traditionally were being serviced and supported. So, you know, bottom line is we got to make sure we keep an eye on that. I also want you all to keep an eye yeah. on people that support us, people like Jobvite and Gusto. We make sure we put the uh, commercials in the story. We make sure we put their links in our show notes. And from time to time, we share it across Twitter. But we are telling you absolutely if you go to jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K or you go to gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you can support them that support us. Let's get into this week's show. Awesome. Awesome. So you and I have been talking a lot lately about how times are changing, but they're really just staying the same. Right. And this just late last week, um, Mercer put out their Global Talent Trends 2021 document. It just hit my inbox this week. Um, But the title of it this year was Win with Empathy. And so how has 2020 or how is 2020 driving 2021 transformation and global trends, right? Good stuff. I always get excited about reading this, thinking about like, we're going to change the sentiment. We're going to change the culture. We're going to change the action. Um, and, you know, some good things came out. 60% of uh, U.S. HR leaders said um, that they are continuing or stepping up the pace toward a business approach to um, societal governance, corporate social responsibility, all of that stuff, right, which is great. But what I think is a little bit different is, is that they are focusing on a broader stakeholder range. And really, at the end of the day, what that means is their employees and not just their shareholders. Yeah, well, you know, and that's absolutely important that we do that. And I like the report, you know, quite frankly, Julie, this is not one that I've ever seen before. You know, unlike the Edelman Trust Barometer, which I see each and every year, I had never seen the Mercer report. And I think it's interesting that it says, you know, most employees, 63% of employees believe that their organization does not effectively balance economics and empathy when making decisions. Yes. And, and I think this team right here would 100% agree with that statement. Uh, and, and really, HR Dive uh, noted that they started to see this trend actually in 2019 from the, the CEO action really came out with more sentiment driving towards employees and less towards um, shareholder experience and shareholder outcomes. And then 2020 obviously kicked that up substantially. And so it's good, right? But then you see, right, like what do what are they planning for 21? What does U.S. transformation look like in HR and, and talent acquisition? And that's where we start to see a lot of the same, right? 
Um, reinventing flexibility. I think that one is probably relatively new given the speed and, and transformation that had to be put into place and implemented so quickly with the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and that's at 48%. Um, but here, right, followed by expanding their talent and learning ecosystems, same old, same old, and upskilling and reskilling toward critical talent pools. So again, kind of what we hear every year out of what are you going to do this year to transform your company um, and focus on people to help drive profits, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, let, me, let, me jump, let me jump on that for just a second, because this is yeah. that, that second one you gave is both of them are interesting. But that second one, you, it, the 40 percent number, just to be clear, I want to make sure that I'm so we're talking about reskilling of talent. It says, according to executives, only 40% of the workforce is able to adapt to the new world of work. That, that is like, that is a, a paltry number. And so yes. does the report go into detail around some of these numbers or are they given us more of the high 30,000 foot view of the, the questionnaire. Um, so what I've read is the executive summary. I'll, I actually just printed it so I could read it on the airplane tomorrow. Okay. To start off a party. Um, and so, you know, I think one, they plan to do this, but only 28% of them are um, gathering information about the existing skills within their workforce, right? So we're not thinking about internal mobility. We're not thinking about skills planning. And fewer than 9% said they've implement, implemented skills-based talent strategies, right? So again, we hear the same thing over and over. We can't We can't find this talent. We can't find that talent. Because there's no action, stop fucking talking about it and start fucking doing it. That's the only way that this is going to change, right? Um, and again, you know, we, we, you and I talked the last week on a chat about analytics and transparency, and that was a big part of our podcast last week. And nearly half have now said they plan to improve analytics for pay equity. Come the fuck on. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. how many years have we been talking about pay equity and pay transparency? Yeah, At well, least all of them that I've been around. And again, you know, this is the spirited part of the conversation where, you know, individuals, you have to ask, you know, does this come down to competency? Uh, does it come down to uh, capability? You know, does it come down to, as I often say, will versus skill like you? If I'm if I'm an incredible leader or, or let me just take the word incredible out. If I'm a leader, I think a part of my measurement Part of my journey towards becoming incredible, becoming legendary, has to have something to do with how I've developed other people that report to me. And in yes. part of that development, yes. I should be looking at folks on my team and saying, now, here, this is coming from an individual who walked away from the corporate quarter in 1998. This is coming from a person who was only in corporate America for five years. And a person who's not graduated from college. And I don't say any of that for sympathy. I'm absolutely cool with who I am and where I am. So I haven't been in corporate America in 23 years, but I knew then, like I know now, inspire, develop, motivate your individuals 
they will perform and run through brick walls for you. You only have to administratively apply pressure when they are not doing what it is that they are supposed to do. But as long as you are showing up and doing those Mm -hmm. things. So how is it that I can have a team of people, uh, I mean, and and not upscale them? And and wait a minute. and, and And find it okay to keep them in their current, let's say, frequency and rotation knowing that they can't be upskilled. Like, I don't even understand that stat. Yeah. It, yeah. It, and to me, it's a bullshit stat because we see firsthand how people can adapt, change, and produce in this pandemic. And to say that they can't be upskilled is treating talent like we've always treated them, like disposable, throwaway trash right? A cog in a wheel that can easily be replaced. And as long as we do that, then we're going to have the same outcome, right? Think about if the company you left, you know, 20 some years ago had taken the time to invest in you and get the value for you and out of you that you clearly have shown the world now and being out on your own, if they had taken the time to develop Torrent. Yeah. And they yeah. lost out. And that's happening every single day with with these bullshit. Oh, we can't reskill. We can't upskill. Invest in your people yeah. and then you will get the return out of that. You know, what's funny. Uh, uh, I know we're going to switch to a, a, a story around job descriptions. <laughs> and I'm smiling right now because literally uh, as we were preparing for uh, this week's episode, I was going to do the story on one of the. Uh, black McDonald's franchisees and his lawsuit against McDonald's. But I chose not to do it. However, the funny part of this is I was like, let me go find out who's the CEO of uh, McDonald's. And I got his name. He's 52. Same age as I am. And just off of the heels of what you just said, there are times, Julie, that I ask myself, had I stayed in corporate America, like how much of a monster I'd be right now? You know, what would the name, where would I be? What would I be leading? What would it look like had I stayed and deposited all of this time in corporate America, growing professionally and all of that other stuff? And I only share that funniness because of what you just said, using me as the example. No, it'd be it'd be a different scenario for real. Right. But as I always say, everything happens for a reason. And the impact that you've had is far greater than what you could have had at one company now. But whoever that company was, they were the ones that lost out on Torn and the rest of us got to benefit from that. So their loss, right? Um, And speaking of job descriptions and And poor hiring practice. And loss. And loss. Yeah. um, So a a company called Newfields owns the... Indianapolis Museum of Art and our kind of art complex within the city. And so last week I got tagged in a post, I think you did too, um, about this new position, a new museum director coming in um, or a posting for it for a new museum director at the IMA. And in the job description, it included a declaration in maintaining their traditional core white art audience pause 
So when I saw that, the first thing that I said was example number, and you know how you just kind of throw some numbers out there. I was like, (laughs) example number one billion, whatever, whatever, whatever. That was my original response. And then I forwarded the tweet to my email and said I was going to read such when I got back to a laptop, computer, or stationary. And I did. But it was like a day and a half later. Literally, it was like a day and a half later, maybe two. And Julie, I'm telling you, I read through that job description four times looking for that misstep. And I'm like, it ain't here. And so now I go on Twitter and I shot you a tweet and everyone else who was included. And I was like, you know, these folks will put you in a trick bag. They will have you messing up your brand. We retween things. And you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the Trump administration and the apology that I issued because I had moved too quick on the executive order. But continue with the story. Yeah. And I I still don't think that you did. Side note. (laughs) And I always say that. Um, And so you're right, right? They, They corrected it and they were hoping it would kind of go away. And in the original post, it says traditional core comma white audience or white art audience. There's no um, comma between white and art. And in a list, right, you you think there would be that that comma, but white art is actually a thing where people get upset, right? Just like white spaces. I think we talked about that about a year ago or so um, when they start to see non-traditional art, aka non-white artists, come into a museum of a certain stature. And so Chad and I debated, were they talking about a core white audience or were they talking about a core white art audience? Both discriminatory, both um, uber not inclusive, not good, could be read two different ways, both equally as bad, right? And so... You know, Newfields puts out a statement and said, and you'll love this, it gets even better. <clears throat> they told the New York Times that, that the use of the word white was intentional to indicate that the museum intended to continue to serve its existing audience while also building our core art audience by welcoming more people in the door. Is that what you got from the use of white people? So, no, I didn't get that from I didn't get that from the clip that we saw on Twitter. But I got to tell you, as I read through the four times, they used the word diversity and descriptors around diversity. They used it a lot throughout the rest of the job description. So uh, now, unless that wasn't originally in, like when they went through and corrected it, if they also went through and added all of the diversity stuff, I guess I read the two day later version, but go ahead. Yes. Yes. And so then in, in their final statement, and they will make no more future statements. They said, we were trying to be transparent about the fact that anybody who is going to apply for this job really needs to be committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in all parts of the museum. And again, is that what you got by the use of the word white art audience? No. 
No. That's not what I got. No, it's it's just a big load of bullshit, right? And and that's the thing, like kind of pulling Mercer and action in action that we see, and then just down to the tactical levels of failure that are the most basic level, right? We really should be past this. And when people ask Torn and I, like, why do we get frustrated? Why do we kind of sometimes use this as a as a event? Um it's because of this kind of stuff, right? Like, y'all, this is 2021, no longer acceptable, no longer going to pass the smell test. And everyone's looking for it, right? Everyone is looking for that opportunity to call your brand out. And y'all got to do better. You got to yeah. do better for your brand. You got to do better for your stakeholders. Got to do better for your employees and your shareholders. That all comes through actual, actionable, measurable change. I think she said it. I think you said it well. You do better for your stakeholders. <laughs> you do better for your employees. You do better for your community. You do better for the industry. You know, it, it really is about how do we show up better in all ways that we touch the industry directly, indirectly, period. Let's look at all of that. Let's look at all of that. So, no, you all probably are best not making any more statements. <laughs> So um, I know you've got a really interesting story thread this week, but let's get into our job by ad first. Really quick before Torin and I hop back into the episode, have you heard about the new job Vite? The social recruiting innovator is now the end-to-end TA suite leader, helping TA teams attract, engage, hire, onboard, and promote the talent they need to succeed. But built specifically for talent acquisition professionals, the Jobvite Talent Acquisition Suite delivers an unmatched depth of capabilities from AI to DNI, recruitment marketing to applicant management, new hire onboarding, employee referrals, internal mobility, all with next gen analytics to help you prove the value you deliver to your organization. Whatever your recruiting challenge, Jobvite has a solution. Visit jobvite.com slash C-A-T-K today. Again, jobvite.com forward slash C-A-T-K. Now let's get back into the show. Awesome. Thank you, producer, Mr. Marcel. You know, DJ Sales does an incredible job trying to support us from week to week. So we absolutely appreciate you sliding that in. And we love the work that Jobvite is doing over there with some of the new offerings that they have for their client base. So here's the deal, Julie. Uh, The aggressions don't necessarily stop when you are successful. I know that sounds poetic, like it's a okay. quote, but it's true. It's it's not a quote. It's it's in reference to something that we talked about at the top of the year. Uh, the young lady on Twitter is Real Abril. Uh, her real name is April Curly, if I'm not mistaken. And she, well, let's just say she she quit. I'm sorry, she was fired from Google. Uh, back in September of last year. Mm. And when she joined Google six years prior to that, so if that's 2020, she joined Google around 2014. When she joined Google in 2014, at that point, the organization had not hired a single graduate from an historically black college or university. What this story doesn't talk not about. One. Now, one, what and, and, and it's a safe assumption, and this is certainly purely me wading into the pool of opinion, 
But if they have not hired a single candidate from a historically black college or university, probably a safe bet that they had not hired a graduate from a Hispanic serving institution and that they probably have struggled to hire some other individuals that are not represented. But 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 I'll continue. Not one person from an HBCU had been hired. And in the six years, she went from zero to over 300. Now, that would suggest to any of us listening, she's getting it in. That's about 50 people a year, give or take. Yeah, yeah, that's the shit. Okay. Getting it in. So now you got to look at the Mm -hmm. uh, squad of recruiters that you have and say to yourself, what have they been doing? You have to look at the hiring managers and say, what have they been doing? You have to look at the directors and say, what have you been doing? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, this, this is something where we evaluate the entire cycle. But even with that amount of success, she hadn't received one promotion or a penny in increase in six years. How does that happen, Julie? And it wasn't even her day job, right? She That wasn't her job, was not recruiting. Is that correct? No, no. Her job was recruiting. She's responsible for it. She's responsible. Okay. She's responsible. Oh, and and to, be more, okay. to, be more, to be more precise, she's responsible for, well, I guess you call it recruiting. They wanted her to generate names. Who, who are potential individuals that we can talk to, pass those names, pass those resumes along? So, yeah, we're going to put her in recruiting. I don't, I don't want to put her in. Sourcing. So I'm going to put her in recruiting. She did a hell of a job. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, no, that's and, amazing. Yeah. And, and guess what they told her? They said, listen, uh, April, you don't need to worry about what's happening in the hiring process. Like, don't ask any questions. You just put the people in front of the hiring managers and, and let us do what it is that we're doing. If we don't feel like they are deserving of being on our team, then we're going to make that decision. You don't need to question that. You don't need to ask any questions. You don't need to inquire. You don't need to be nosy. Just keep your nose where it belongs in your sandbox. Go to these schools. Talk to them people over there. Them people. You know, talk to them. Those folks. You just do that part. Them people. Mm-hmm. Them people. That's it. Uh, and let me tell you what really, really burned her up and it burns me up. That much of this aggression that she was dealing with this sleight of hand that she dealt with, it would come at the hands of white women. She says that she had like nine managers in her tenure for various reasons. People would come and go get promoted, whatever it, much of it would come at the hands of white women. Oh, oh, this, this will really get you. One of her managers, they called them a skip level manager. She says uh, to, to April, I feel like the way you speak is harsh. It's a turnoff to others. Folks are afraid to work with you, essentially. Now, let me give the listeners context. April Curley is 5'2", mm-hmm. former cheerleader from Columbia, Maryland. Her bio might say Baltimore. If you go on LinkedIn, it's going to say Washington, D.C., but she's from Columbia, Maryland. I listened to a 20 seven minute video of April Curley in an interview 
There is nothing about her delivery that was uh, alarming, off-putting, nothing. Uh, but it's only because she's from Baltimore that this particular manager felt she needed to comment on her style of communication. And Julie, you'll love this. The manager making this grievance is uh, she has a disability. Like she has a visual mm, impairment. Great. great. So here we are accosting one another. Yep. That's that's what we do. White women are the worst perpetrators of holding other women down. The fucking worst perpetrators of holding other women down. And that's why, ladies, no one wants to come and do things with us to help move the diversity needle because we have repeatedly failed to take care of the people in our world, other women who need to be built up, who need to have mentors, who need to have acceptance, who need to have guidance. It's bullshit. And we have to wear that and we have to learn from it in 2021. And you know, what really made April upset is not just the uh, being accosted by managers and hiring managers, but also the black men that did not protect her in the environment. She talks about in an interview how one of the black managers that she reported to that she supported was a graduate of Harvard. The other was a graduate of, uh, I think it was Stanford. It was one of the Ivy League schools. And that both of them would look at some of the talent that she was placing forth in their commentary, their disposition around talent coming from HBCUs showed how much they were out of touch. And so for April, she felt like, you know, again, of course, there is some cultural sensitivity that you get with that proximity. Like you, you, you operate a little bit differently when you come from different places. I absolutely get it. She gets it. I'm sure they get it. But she felt like their their commentary was almost like they were towing the line of, as she said, the oppressor. Like, let's be the overseer. If I can Ooh. put it in, you know, that term, let 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 me carry out the let me carry out the most wicked of punishment for this person so we can show that we are more in line with the power structure and we are doing what they yep. want us to do versus trying to extend and show that the ability to bring this talent on. And she said, you know, again, she wasn't asking for them to lower the bar and she most certainly could understand some of the feedback when people were not moved forward. But she said overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, she had to work extremely hard to get to those 300 individuals and that in large part, tech is not a safe place for black women. And she was most disappointed that black men didn't stand up for her um, and other black women inside of Google. And, and then even worse, when the CEO uh, of Google sat down with some HBCU leaders a couple of weeks ago, this is what really prompted her interview. Not once did they really bring up the infractions that Google has against black women. And she said that that is very, very disappointing. And something I just caught um, when kind of reviewing her thread is that Google announced on Sunday, 
or no, I'm sorry, Monday, the 15th, that they are launching an initiative to train 100,000 Black women in digital skills by 2022. Mm. And I, I think, Torin, this goes back to the the things that we always talk about, right? The the cookie crumbs and the quarters in the in the couch and that kind of thing, right? Clearly, April has demonstrated that there is black talent that's ready to come and be successful at Google, at these tech companies. While there may be a need to develop more pipeline, you should not put black women through extra barriers to get to that job because they're black women, right? That in an act of creating a training program can also create additional barriers for qualified black women who are not getting through the traditional hiring funnel. And then Google uses that as an out. We have this for people with disabilities all the time. And it is, it is blatant in its discrimination in assuming that the talent can't get there on their own. You have to have an environment and a talent acquisition funnel that is competent and open Two talent coming in the door that looks different than they do. That's and right. that's the problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this right here is an, an incredible compliment to the Mercer study that you mentioned a moment ago. And so it really is not about, as you said, placing additional gates in front of talent, but that we are fairly saying, look, if we provide them with adequate resources and support, and once again, I'm going back to that development and that inspiration, if we coddle and coddle may not be the right word, but if we wrap talent in that bubble of four, development, inspiration, adequate resources and support, if we put that sort of a cocoon around people, if we put that foundation up under individuals, I'm confident that a majority of people can get in these organizations and they can fly, they can excel. Because the bottom line is I'm not going to try to work at Google as a coder and I have like zero aptitude for coding. Like, like I haven't even demonstrated basic. So I know that when people are applying, I, I get it. There are a lot of people that apply for jobs that, that we know that they, why'd you do that? Like you, you asking yourself, why'd you do that? But if you got a recruiter and I tend yes. to give recruiters the benefit of the doubt, most recruiters are going to put forth people that meet, you know, they just meet at least considerable uh, they they have the considerations like they, they there's something there mm-hmm. that we know can be uh, formed and shaped into an incredible employee. Mm-hmm. Most recruiters are worth their salt. They're not pushing paper just for the hell of it. So I just find stories like this to be really, yes. really interesting. And it was really interesting for me that uh, up until 2014 that they hadn't hired one person. From an HBCU. Yeah. Crazy. So that's unbelievable. Before we get out of here, uh, Illyria is sharing all of their pre recorded content from last year's uh, Diversity and Inclusion Research Conference, the Dirk 20 Conference. We actually sent Wendy uh, to that uh, conference. You remember, I bought a ticket for Wendy. Well, we bought a ticket for Wendy. We did. I I wonder if she, I wonder what her feelings are about that. I should, I should uh, tag her. But in any event, they're uh, opening up. All of the content for the conference, the 2020 conference, is available. So I'm going to actually check out some of those talks and some of those fireside chats. And then the other thing is that Stacia Gar and Cornerstone, I just did a podcast with Cornerstone uh, a couple of weeks ago, Fire. But Stacia Gar and Cornerstone are offering 
a how to plan a comprehensive D, E, I, and B strategy for 2021 and beyond. That conference or webinar, webinar, I'm sorry, is going to take place on February 25th. You can find all of the details if you hit Red Thread research, uh, research or if you go to the Cornerstone On Demand website, I'm sure uh, they both are advertising such prominently so that you can register. Who's your name drop? I don't have one. Um, so Dan Fellows, CEO of Get Optimal for right. sending me a gorgeous, fantastic bottle of the best gin I've ever had in my life. Wait um, a minute. I'm going to butcher Wait the name. Wait a minute. So I'm Wait not going to try minute. it. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you going to tell us I the name? It. So yes, I am somewhere. Okay. Um, it's French. It is absolutely heavenly. Got um, sent over from London. I've already drank it. I had some gin and juice yesterday. I hid the bottle from my husband because he's not touching it. And the name of it is very, very poorly pronounced La Distillerie de Monaco. Oh. And it is French. So you must have. Okay, so you you'll have to make sure you send me an image or something uh, because we are going to tap our London friends and you know we got some London connects both of us do. So we will make sure oh, yes. that we get a little bit of that for for the bar. I love that. Shout out Daniel Fellows. Good taste, brother. Oh. Good taste. Yes, yes. so taste. check out uh, Dan Dan Fellows at Twitter and CEO of Get Optimal. And who is Get Optimal, real quick? Um, I believe that they do job description optimization. You got it. Good stuff. All right. So before we go, we send digital condolences to the family, friends, and employees of Marriott and beyond. Uh, the morning, the loss of Arnie Sorensen, who was 62. He passed away from pancreatic cancer. He said during the summer of 2020, quote, we are proud to showcase our commitment to diversity and inclusion and social good through our hashtag love travels purpose driven marketing campaign, which aims to advance people pursuing inclusion, equality, peace and human rights. End quote. Arnie Sorensen put forth a number of videos. I remember when COVID started, he put out a video for his employees you know, during some of the summer unrest, and I'm not talking 2020, but before he put out a statement, Arnie Sorensen was the first person to lead Marriott that wasn't a part of the family. We lost a giant in the corporate world. Arnie Sorensen, who uh, was 62, died of pancreatic cancer. I close reminding each and every one of you to share the power with your digital tribe and to find your voice. Be a better human. Let's create better culture, teams, and workplaces for now. Jay and I are ghosts. See ya. So, Torin, we have a sponsor. Mad cool. That says that they appreciate the work that we are doing through this podcast vehicle. You know what else is cool is what other people are saying about Gusto. So give me examples. I mean, it's easy for you to say people are talking about it, but give me some examples. So Tom S. said, Gusto has allowed my small company to offer big time benefits without an HR department. Shout out to Tom, but do you have more? 
Yes, I have another one from Sation who says Gusto is effortless, which is how I like HR. Out of sight, out of mind, yet doing what it's supposed to do. So what you are saying is Gusto is more than a payroll provider. Absolutely. And Gusto integrates with all of your favorite tools that, again, makes life easier. Tools like QuickBooks, Google, and and many others. So if you visit gusto.com slash C-A-T-K, that's gusto.com forward slash C-A-T-K, you'll get three complimentary months from Crazy and the King. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.